If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be uh, teaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so you can go ahead and start turning there while the ushers are passing by. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can watch on the screen. They're going to put the Scriptures up. We're going to begin in verse 18. Verse 18. I'm going to read a few verses here. And then we're going to kind of open things up and we'll get into the rest of the text as we go on. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Let me start by asking you a question today, as you kind of let those scriptures sink in. What is, what would you say is the ultimate authority in your life? What is the ultimate authority in your life? Um... If you think about in any kind of industry or any kind of, let's say, business or whatever, there's typically some kind of a, of a governing body or authority that sort of sets the rules and sets the standards for what happens, best practices in that kind of an area. Uh, one of the businesses that I am a partner in deals with protective equipment, and we have a ballistic type of capability with that. And so one of the standards that we have to be a, pay attention to and follow is something called the National Institute of Justice, or NIJ. Okay, And so the NIJ basically sets all the conditions when it comes to what ballistic capabilities are. So if you want to have ballistic capabilities, if you want to announce that you have that, whatever, they're the ones that dictate how that stuff works, and you have to abide by that. I know we've got a lot of construction workers in here, right? How many guys know about, or gals too? OSHA. How many people like OSHA? Hands go down, right? I I never said these were good governing bodies. I'm just saying this is the reality. OSHA, Occupational of Safety and Health Administration, right? So if you go on a job site, they're going to determine what the safety standards are. If you're not adhering by those safety standards, what happens? They can shut you down, right? I know we've got some, a lot of people in the medical field. We got the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, right? They basically dictate and decide and govern how all the procedures, operations, the rules go in that area. Doc, we got the, we got a dentist here. It's the Missouri Dental Board, right? And you're actually the president of that, aren't you? Yeah. So you actually decide what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so the dental board gets to decide what happens in that area. And then, of course, we have the famous one that everybody loves, the EPA. You can get away with that in Waterloo. Yeah, you don't say that in other parts of the St. Louis. But yeah, no, EPA. So we've got all these governing agencies, these ruling authorities, right, that decide how things work. But my question to you today is, what is that, what is that ultimate authority figure in your life? What is the, who or what is it that is really determining and deciding how it is that you live your life each and every day and all of the things that you are involved in and you're engaged in? Is it God? Is He the one? What He says and His will and His plan, is that really what your life is submitted to? 
You know, a lot of times we can say that we believe the Bible and that we we love God, but in a lot of times in situations, we can begin to put the wisdom of man or we can begin to put rules and things of this world in a higher place of authority in our lives than what we revere and respect and value what the word of God has to say, right? I mean, it's just a reality. We've all done this, so it's not like anybody's in in their own little box here. We've all done it. Maybe you, you're in a relationship. In that relationship, you know kind of what God says about relationships, but you've sort of maybe allowed certain standards to, 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 to be upheld by yourself that you sort of feel like, okay, you know, I'm just going to, I know what the Word of God says, but I'm going to go by a different standard, right? Or maybe it's in your workplace, and you know what God says about honesty and integrity, but somewhere along the line, you, you've kind of given in or submitted to the idea that it's okay to be dishonest sometimes when things might benefit you or whatever. There's all these different ways that we can slip into this trap, but it happens where we as people can begin to allow the wisdom of man to sometimes usurp what the wisdom of God is in our lives. And if you look through history, guys, all throughout time, societies have bowed their knee to other forms of authority and allowed those places and forms of authority to usurp God. And ultimately, over time, it began to decay what the foundations of that society are resting upon. If you go back and you look throughout history, I mean, there's patterns of this that you can see, right? If you go back and you look throughout history, there have been ages and eras where people have looked to kings and monarchs as gods and as rulers, and whatever they say is what they're uh, uh, adhering to, and that's what rules their lives. We look through times like whenever Jesus was alive, there was this age of philosophy or philosophers that were basically saying you're, they're looking for the meanings of life through philosophy and human wisdom. Right. And then you see even just a few hundred years ago through the 17 and the 1800s, this big movement that occurred called the Age of Enlightenment. We see it originated in Europe and now actually has really been the motivator and and sort of the catalyst for a lot of what we feel. I feel like we see today, which is kind of an age of intellectualism. An age of intellectualism. Now, I want to be really, really clear. I have to make sure you understand this. I am not downplaying or casting a dark shadow on education, science, knowledge, none of that. That is, I, I do not believe that way. I believe in mastering your craft. I believe in getting very good at what you do. I believe in pursuing the best and learning, uh, you know, the most you can about whatever it is that you're doing. So I want to make that clear. But we're at a point in our society if you, if you agree with me on this, if you don't, that's okay. But we're, I believe we're at a point in our society where intellectualism, an age of education and knowledge is beginning to take the forerunning place in our land. And it's beginning to push God more and more out of society as the ultimate authority figure in our land. Right. I mean, so much to the point where and maybe you've even experienced this, where if you're not educated, if you're not an intellectual, that sometimes people can make you feel like, well, you just don't understand. You're not quite capable of really grasping the reality. Oh, that's really cute. You believe in God. That's nice. But science, but but reason, but all of these things. Right. And it's happening. It's happening. Uh, and it's a dangerous place to be. 
But I have very good news for you. Very good news. Because the message of the gospel, the message in our Bible, the message of the cross, guys, it is not a complex, complicated, you, certain people can get it, but certain people can't. It's not a polarizing to the point where some people can have it and some people can't. It's an all-encompassing, simple gospel. It's a simple message. And the title of my message today is Simple Man. Simple Man. Simple Man. You were like two seconds late on that, Jake. I was in this awkward moment here. Simple Man. Leonard Skinner, baby. Woo. Fun fact. You want to hear a fun fact? A little pastoral transparency. My kids are downstairs today, so it's all good, right? So I've been to tons of rock concerts, right? Tons. And uh, one of the things that me and my buddies that used to go together, we would always challenge ourselves that we had to get down as close to the front as we possibly could. And we actually got on stage a few times, too. That was pretty cool. I'll tell that story another day. But anyway... Uh, we would even purposely, it got to the point where we wanted to challenge ourselves at another level. We would purposely buy lawn tickets at Riverport, not seats, because then we had to break through the wall and actually get into the seats first and then get down to the front. And so we wouldn't even buy lawn, we would just buy lawn tickets and say, yeah, we'll get through and then we'll make it down front. Well, Leonard Skinner's coming to town. Riverport Amphitheater, that's what it was called then. I don't even know what it is now. And, uh, and, and Leonard Skinner is, you know, he's a little bit more mellowed and laid back. It's, it's not like your heavy metal rock concert like I was used to. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to get seats to this one. I'm just going to chill and I'm going to enjoy this. I'm not going to deal with, you know, we're just, I'm just going to. So I got 11th row center tickets, me and my buddies, right? I got thrown out of the concert before it ever even started. <laughs> the only one I've ever been kicked out of. I got th- tossed. JJ, before it even started, I had to listen to Leonard Skinner in the parking lot while all my friends were enjoying 11th row center. And I'm trying to figure out who they gave my ticket to, who's sitting in my seat, right? And, and, uh, and I, cause I couldn't leave because I rode with all of them. And so I spent hours in the parking lot just like, oh, it was horrible. Anyway, simple man. So simple man is the title. <laughs> mm. JJ, come on up here, bud. No, no, no. Oh, man. It's simple, man. And the reality is, is that the message of the gospel, it is simple, guys. And we see this in these passages here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We see what, we see what Paul is, is teaching us here. And so let's, let's go through this and let's begin to break this down a little bit. In verse 18, He says, first of all, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is interesting. 
The people that don't believe in God, the people that have maybe abandoned the idea of there being a God or uh, have put their faith in wisdom and knowledge of man and things like that, the message of the cross to them, the Bible says, is it's foolishness. It's just ridiculous. Like, what do you mean? Like, they, it just seems like it's not, it, it's not a satisfactory answer to them, right? And so we, we have to understand that the power in this simple message is not necessarily something that is just going to get embraced by everyone. But it is a message that when embraced, it says here that to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Meaning, Power is like the driving force and the driving factor. It's the source of all of the energy and the thrust of everything that's coming after that, right? The message of the cross, guys, that's the first message that we hear that secures our eternal life. That's the message that we put our faith in that gives us our salvation, that frees us from the bondage of sin. It says that message, that simple message, may be complete foolishness to those who reject it, to those who are perishing, but to those who have embraced it and put all of their faith in it, it's everything. It's the power, it's the source, it's the driving factor behind how they live their lives. That simple message, that beginning point, right? And and you think about the way, let's say that a, the, a dam holds all of the water back, and as the dams, the turbines are open and the water moves the turbines, the turbines turn, and then electricity is supplied to cities, right? And so it's the force of the water that's coming through that's really the source of the power that's moving everything, that's supplying the electricity. Guys, the message of the cross is much like the water moving through the turbines in our lives. It's that message, that starting point, that place where our faith originates that pushes forward and gives force and power to everything it is that we're called to do in our lives. That simple message of the gospel. And another beautiful thing is that it's, it's a simple message that is, it's, it's, there's as much power in the very first time that we hear the message of the cross and we receive that, that there's that power that God endues us with and that wisdom that he imparts to us as his spirit comes to live on the inside of us. This is big. There's that full wisdom and that full power that comes to live on the each and on the inside of each and every one of us. The very first moment that we put our faith in that message. Isn't that powerful? Now, I mean, we we grow and we mature in our faith and we get more understanding and revelation as we as we walk with God and as we read the word. But it's amazing to me that God in his fullness of power and wisdom is living on the inside of each and every believer the very moment that they put their faith in that message. The message of the cross of Jesus died, crucified, crucified, died for our sins and rose from the dead. He was God's son. That simple message is the message that all of our faith and everything we're called to do comes flowing out of. Right. The message of the cross. Looking at verse 19, he says here, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Now, he's actually, Paul's actually quoting a prophecy from Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah here, back in Isaiah chapter 29. And so he's bringing that back up. But he's, what he's saying is he's saying, look, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, Isaiah was, and he's prophesying, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So this prophecy is talking about when the Messiah comes, and, and obviously we know that is Jesus, when he comes and he does what he's going to do, it's, it's going to destroy the, it's going to bring down the wisdom of the world because it's going to be done in a way where it's not what the intellectuals of the day are looking for, right? Jesus came as a carpenter's son. He came and he, he died. He served, it was a servant. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a military king. All these things. His prophecy saying when he comes, it's going to bring to nothing the understanding of the wise of the day. And they, quite frankly, could not grasp it. They couldn't accept it. They couldn't wrap their minds around it because it wasn't satisfying the need that they had for it to be something more complicated, more complex and difficult for all of the low class of society to really grasp that only the Pharisees and the high levels of society were the ones that would really be able to get this and see this. And they would help the rest of the people understand and know. Right. That's what they were looking. So I'm going to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent and I'm going to bring down the wisdom of the wise. And how many know that in the end days, when Jesus comes back, you're going to see this same thing come true where all of the knowledge and the wisdom that the world is putting their faith in. It's going to crumble to nothing and it's going to fall. It's going to be point. It's going to be nothing. There's nothing solid that it'll have to stand on. And so what we have to grasp when we have to draw for our own lives is we have to understand the path, the pattern that it's showing us here is that if we ourselves begin to put any faith and any confidence in anything of the world and let that begin to take a place of prominence over the authority of God in our lives, that wisdom too will fall and crumble and come to nothing. It may take time. Guys, societies that embraced philosophy or, or intellectualism and all these things, it happened over a hundred or more years sometimes where it gradually decayed. But ultimately, we can look back and we can see that eventually they all fell and they all came to nothing. But what wisdom is still standing since the beginning of time? The wisdom of one creator and one God and one message that is never changing, that is the same from beginning to end yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's the only wisdom that has ever been able to stand the test of time through multiple eras, multiple generations, and multiple types of challenges that have tried to squash it out. And it has only got stronger through those years. Amen. Verse 21. He says, For since the wisdom of God... For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. Now, this is really powerful because what he's saying is that you, a, a man can never come to the saving knowledge of grace through his mind. He can never 
accept and embrace and know God through an intellectual pathway. He's saying it was the message of the foolishness of the cross that God chose that the wisdom of the world through the wisdom of the world could not know God. Meaning they couldn't reach some level of enlightenment, some level of intellectualism, some place of profundity, profundity that they said, I now can see and know who God is. They're saying it's through the, he says, through that wisdom, the world could never know God. It was through the simpleness of the message of the cross that all who put their faith in that would begin to have a relationship with the Savior, with the Creator that would be able to give them everything that they would need to have the power in their lives to do what they're called to do and to live eternally in heaven with God after this life. The whole idea that anything that we could possibly get to a point in our knowledge would get us closer to God is it's horse crap okay it's I'm trying to think I was lost for words it's jump it's it's not it's blah throw it out of here sorry simple man I'm a simple kind of guy man no, stop okay Now you're on time. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. Oh, man. Verse, okay, verse 22. Listen to this. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this is interesting because he's saying, look, there's there's basically two groups of people that Paul is evangelizing in this time. You've got the Jewish nation, which are the people that were looking for a different kind of king and, and basically rejected Jesus. And then you've got the Greeks who are essentially your Gentiles, but they're predominantly a Greek culture at the time. And he's saying two things. He's saying, look, for the Jews request a sign... And so to them, it, this message of the cross is a stumbling block. What did they look for? They looked for something miraculous, something that was prominent, some sort of military leader, some majestic thing. This was going to be, man, this was going to be a, a huge kind of deal. And so when Jesus comes and he's a servant and he's a carpenter's son and he's the son of God and he's going to suffer and die, they, it's a stumbling block. They just, they can't grasp it. But you know what's interesting is they're looking for a sign. They're, they want to see something miraculous. And guys, look, people, we are all potentially guilty of this at times where we, God, I just, you're going to have to show me something if I'm going to believe. Well, you know what? Sometimes you may see something, but sometimes you may not. And when you don't, where is your faith going to be then? Right? And they're saying, well, we need to see something. Well, what I remember from my scriptures is that Jesus comes along and he heals some blind guy who's been blind since birth. And this blind guy goes and shows the Pharisees that he can see. And they're like, well, who's, well, who, who is this guy? Jesus is like, how do you see, right? I mean, I don't understand. He's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And since the beginning of the age, no man has opened eyes. Well, but, but what did he do and how did he do this? And, and so you get what I'm saying? Like they were blind to the fact that this blind guy just got healed. There was a, there was a miracle, but they still couldn't get over it because they were looking for what they wanted to see. 
And if we've put conditions on how God's going to show up and show himself in our life, we're going to miss things. We're going to hit stumbling block that God's going to try to reveal to us. It's going to be the power, most powerful things that may have ever come along in our lives. Hallelujah. But he's saying in the, to the Greeks, they're looking for wisdom. They're looking for knowledge. And so for to them, it's foolishness. Oh, we want to be satisfied intellectually. We want to, we want to feel like we have this enlightenment and this place of, of knowledge that people don't have. And it's just that some few of us can get there because that's what we're about. And he's saying, so to them, it's just foolishness. It's just too simple. Everybody can have that. Mm, no, I, that's not going to work for me. You know, I'm going to need something a little bit more sophisticated than that. Right. And so in both these cases, it's all these different things. But here's what's, oh my gosh, here's what blows me away. Blows me away. This message of the cross, it couldn't satisfy the skeptic that needed a certain kind of miracle sign. And it couldn't satisfy the intellectual that somehow achieved a level of enlightenment and understanding that others could not. But that same message, that simple gospel, could come and totally and wholly and fully and completely and in moments instant eradicate a sinful nature out of a man. It could redeem him to a place of right standing with his creator and it could put him in a place of relationship with the Holy Spirit and it could empower him to walk out a God-given purpose and destiny for the rest of his days of his life. That message that couldn't satisfy the skeptic or the philosopher or the intellectual is the same message that could transform and change every single human being that would walk the face of the earth. Whoa, is that amazing or what? Simple man, simple gospel. He's saying, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach the simple starting point, that simple message that is the message that everything we're going to all have and believe and do in our lives flows out of. That's where it begins. All the Old Testament leads up to Jesus and hinges on that because everything in the New Testament flows out of what he did. He is the center of everything in the universe, in our lives. He's the creator of it all. It is not anything that the world can offer or can reason or can can understand on their own. It is only through the message of what Jesus did that we can begin to have access to the power and the wisdom that God imparts to us to be strong, to be the wisdom of God, to know, to know the things of God and to see how God sees and the power of God to be able to walk out our lives with that supernatural empowerment that his Holy Spirit gives us to do all that we're called to do. That simple message brings the weakest people, the, the simplest things, up to a place of walking with God-given destiny and purpose. Verse 24. Oh, man. Verse 24 or 25. But because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Listen. The wisdom of God will always prevail. It will always last. It will always be sustained. If our faith is steadfast, 
in what God's authority is in our lives. He's saying other things will rise and fall. Other mighty things will flare up and then they will, they will come to nothing. We will always see that throughout all of history. There will be the rising and falling of all kinds of sources of authority that are not God. But what he's saying is, is that the authority of God, the wisdom of God will always prevail. And we as believers must put our faith in that and say, God, you are the ultimate authority in everything that I'm called to do in my life. God, I want to know what you say about my relationships. I want to know what you say about my life. I want to know what you say about what I'm called to do. God, in any type of dilemma, moral battle, any type of challenge that I face, God, it's you that I want to have the, that I want to have the ultimate and final say in how it is that I put my faith in the way that I live my life. Because you can trust in that and you can know that it will always last and it will always prevail and the scenery of everything that history begins to unfold will be all kinds of other things that will rise, they will fall, and they will crumble. And there will be a landfill of all the different things of the wisdom of man that had brought up that had fallen to nothing. And the wisdom of God will grow stronger and continue to prevail until the end time whenever it's clear and it's opened up and all are able to see. And all the things that people put their faith in will fall to nothing. Hallelujah. Listen to this. In chapter 2, All right, no, in verse 31, he says, And as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Whoa, this is amazing. So the power and the wisdom of God that comes into our lives when we hear the message of the cross, do you know what it's for? Do you know what it's what it's doing? He's saying, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God is giving you supernatural wisdom and power and ability, him as the source, so that he can be glorified through your life. So that he can be the one that people can look to our lives and see that God, there is something happening that is, that is not of man that is going on. And God is the originator and the source and the one who gets the credit and the glory for what's happening. He's saying all these other things, they're prideful. All these other wisdom of the world, it's, it's people putting their faith in something else that God isn't being glorified by. He's saying anything that we're going to do, it's God who's going to get the glory for it. He'll impart supernatural strength and wisdom and power into your life to fulfill a God-given calling and destiny. But make no mistake, it's so he can be glorified through the life that you're living. And you can bring him honor and that people can see, look upon your life and see, this is not a work of man. This is not a wisdom of man. This is not a knowledge of man. This is something that's coming from heaven. And there's a God who is who is empowering the person to live this life that they're called to live. Oh, that's amazing. I think that's better than what you think that is, but that's okay. That was pretty good. And I'm going to close with this. Chapter 2. Let me read these verses here, verses 1 through 5. This is Paul. So now he's, he's wrapping it up, and he's saying, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, Declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined, listen to this, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I came preaching. That's what He's saying. That's all I came to tell you. That's all I came saying. It was not in excellence of speech or of wisdom. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow. In demonstration. Listen, he's saying... Throw the persuasive words out. Throw the impressive speech. Throw the profound intellectual that's that's espousing all these theories. Just toss it out the window. I came with a with a bad acumen and a, a bad public speaking ability, and I came preaching one thing to you, and that was Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But I came in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit and the power of God. Demonstration means proof. Or evidence. He's saying, everything about my life was authentic. I was a man who put no faith in anything of the wisdom of the world. And I was, and I was not impressive by the intellectual standards, but I came preaching one simple message to you. Jesus Christ, Him crucified. And there was a demonstration in the way I lived my life and I came to you that was proof, that was evidence that there was power from on high. That there was power coming from a supernatural God. And they could see it. They saw it. They observed it. They were drawn in. And they could identify. This guy, Paul, he's not a public speaker, man. He's definitely not going toe-to-toe with these philosophers as far as all of his enlightenment. But there's something different about this guy than those guys. And it's an evidence and it's a proof that there's a power that's coming from him or through him that is not originating in him. And none of these other things have that. That is where the power came from. And I was asking you as you stand to your feet with me today to think about this. When people look at your life, when you look at your life, guys... When you look at your life, oh, can you see, can you identify and say, God is up to something. This is not a work of man. Is, are there things going, there should be things happening in our lives all the time that we look at and say, wow, God, you just continue to blow me away. This is not a work of man. There's evidence. There's a demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God that's manifesting itself out in my life. I can see it and people around me can see it. And everybody knows that it ain't me, that God is with me. If he's for me, then who could possibly be against me? Right? We're all of our lives, guys. It it should just be a demonstration of that spirit and of that power of God flowing through us. And the beautiful thing, the simple thing, is it all starts with a simple message, a simple gospel. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Can you embrace that? You know, I know a lot of times we can begin to feel in points in our lives belittled or beneath other people or other things. People can make us feel that way. We can make ourselves feel that way. This isn't the message that we see, though. This isn't the way that God has set our story up. He's saying, it's a simple truth. Come from my son. Everything that you need, all the power and all the wisdom that would unlock the greatest things that you could ever imagine in your entire life. It's all coming from one simple thing. And my, my heart's plea with you today. Embrace that message. 
Embrace the message of the cross. Jesus Christ, Him crucified. He died for your sins so that you could be saved. And when you accept that, you are born again. And the power and the wisdom of God is imparted. It's imputed into your life. It's there in fullness inside of you. And you're now walking out a journey of a God-given calling and destiny that ought to be a demonstration to the world and to you all the time that God's power is at work in your life. And you can put your faith in that. I don't want to put my faith in anything else. I don't have confidence in the things of the world. They've risen and they've fallen. They're going to rise and they're going to fall again. It's going to continue to happen. But God is unchanging. And He will always stay the same. And He loves you today. He cares about you. He wants to know you closer than you could ever imagine. He wants to be closer, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I encourage you, bow your head and close your eyes right now. If you've never received Him, if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, receive the invitation now. It's a free gift of grace. Ask Him, Jesus, come into my life today. I believe in You. I believe in this simple message. If you've been stumbling because in your mind you couldn't reason or rationalize God, it's a heart thing. (laughs) It's a faith thing. It's not a mind thing. God comes by His Spirit to live with your spirit in you. And then all the things that He's prepared for you will begin to be unveiled as you walk with Him. Receive Him now as your Lord and Savior. Say, God, I invite you into my heart today. Live with me. Make me all that you've created me me to be. And I want to put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.